The Old Testament lesson for today is from Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5. This can be found on page 545 of your Pew Bible. The psalmist trusts in God for deliverance, anticipates Christ's trust as he dies on the cross for our sins. A reading from Psalm 31, beginning with the first verse. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. The gospel lesson continues on, uh, from Luke chapter 19, verses 29 through 40. This can be found on page 1044 of your Pew Bible. These verses describe the preparations made by Jesus as he and the disciples are about to enter Jerusalem. The details of these events fulfill prophecy about the coming Messiah, establishing Jesus as our trustworthy Savior and Deliverer. A reading from Luke chapter 19, beginning with the 29th verse. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. When I was 20, I had the opportunity to go and study abroad in France. And a week before I left, my mother gave me this gift. It's a little Bible travel Bible, kind of a nice size, had a zipper, Um, and inside she put a little dedication, and many years later it's still there, a little weathered, Um, but it was a blessing for my journey that was included. Now, this Bible became very important to me in France, because in France my faith really became alive and revived, and I had my opportunity to learn, lead my first Bible study, and These daily devotions that I did with my Bible were a lifeline for me that year. This became my most prized possession. 
And I was thinking about how much it meant to me when I was in Vienna with a couple friends with our backpacks getting a travel visa to go in to Czechoslovakia. Now, this was 1987, when Czechoslovakia was still behind the Iron Curtain. Now, I know you might be judging me, but remember, my prefrontal cortex was not fully developed yet. <laughs> so, you know, this is the era when people are smuggling Bibles in and they're risking their freedom and their future to get the word into communist-ruled countries. But I remember very naively thinking, you know what? This Bible means so much to me that if anybody tried to take it away, I'm going to defend it. I'm going to hold on to my Bible, even if they threaten to imprison me. But then we got to the border on the train between Austria and Czechoslovakia, and the train slowed to a stop at this platform. And as it did, I looked out the window and I could see there were Soviet soldiers lining the, the entire platform. And when the train stopped, it was so that each soldier could look into a compartment. They had machine guns, they were well decorated. And then we heard the sound of soldiers coming onto the train. And they came through with their German shepherds and were clearly inspecting the whole train. It was at this point that my confidence began to wash away. Uh, we got to Prague, we spent a few days there, we're on the way back out at that same border crossing, and the same events take place. And now the soldier coming down the train car stops at our compartment and points up to my knapsack. And although I did not speak his language, it was clear when he pointed to it and pointed to the bench, I needed to take it down for inspection. Now, I am panicking. I, I now am completely covered with fear. I'm thinking at this point, if you want the Bible, you can have it. Maybe it'll do you some good. I was terrified. But um, I, I don't know why, but for some reason, when I packed my knapsack, what I put in on top were my undergarments. So I do think that was a saving grace, because when I opened it up, the soldier was so shocked, he was just quickly rummaging through and then told me to shut the case. Um, so in the end, I was safe and my Bible was safe, but um, my faith really was shaken by that experience. And it reminded me of these disciples that we hear about in our story for today. They are kind of puffed up with celebration. And I remember how quickly I went to feeling powerless and self-protective. My human fear became a lot bigger than my trust at that point. And it did make me wonder, how sure is my foundation? In moments of testing, God shows us what we put our trust in. Do we trust ourselves or do we trust him? And remembering that personal story also gives me sympathy for all of the people in this story. And in this passage, we do hear God sort of asking the question, what is it that is your foundation? Believing in God and trusting him allows us to be, not to be shaken and to be in a place of trust. And it's in that place that God can use us. God knew the story and how it was going to unfold to fulfill what all the prophecies had foretold about a coming Messiah and as we get closer to the climax of Jesus' life and mission, the Old Testament references start popping up everywhere. It's like a neon sign that's blinking brightly to point to God's main event, which is coming. Jesus is God, the Messiah, who's come to save. 
I actually kind of geek out following the trail of all these Old Testament references um, in these verses, but there's so many. If you want a list, email me. There are references in every verse, but I'll highlight only a couple today so we can understand the power and the meaning of what was taking place. If you want to turn with me to our reading for today in Luke um, chapter 19, verses 29 to 34, we can hear more of the story. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Well, as we hear that scripture again, we're hearing the word cult. That word can also be translated donkey. In fact, John says donkey cult. And notice that the cult was unridden. This means that it, can, it has not yet been used for any secular purpose, so it could be used for a sacred one. And Jesus knew exactly where they would find the cult, what to say, and knew that the owner would oblige. So God's unfolding plan could be made clear. They went and found it just as he had told them. Notice Jesus is following a different script. He's seeing what is happening from God's perspective. And he fulfilled all of God's promises and Old Testament prophecies in his life and mission. Now in knowing what comes next, Jesus also knew how the people would respond. And we see this in this next scene, which was a celebratory one. So let's look together at verses 35 to 38. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Notice what it says. His multitude of disciples, his crowd of disciples. These are not the same people that gather in the garden when he's arrested or who yell crucify him in front of Pontius Pilate. That was a mob that was stirred up by the scribes and Pharisees who came out for blood sport. No, this was Jesus' followers, his faithful ones. They were mostly out-of-towners from up north. They had dirt under their fingernails. They had calloused hands. And one or two were better dressed, like the tax collector. But they were ones who'd been living off the land with an itinerant rabbi. And they do next, in, what they do next in their devotion to Jesus is highly offensive to some of those looking on. His whole crowd of disciples are joyfully praising God for all the miracles that they'd seen done. They'd seen the lepers healed, the blind sight restored, 
They've seen people being raised from the dead. They understood Jesus was Israel's future king. And right at that moment, several prophecies are being fulfilled in their midst, riding in on the colt and riding it into Jerusalem was a symbol of a king coming for coronation. Just as Solomon rode in on his father, King David's cult, when he had been anointed king. The prophet Zechariah foretold that the future king coming into Jerusalem would do so on a donkey cult. And knowing what this meant, the crowd of disciples laid garments down so that he could walk on them, and that also was something that was done for kings. They were literally laying out the red carpet for him. They loudly and joyfully praised God, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and with words like those of the angels to the shepherds, peace in the highest and glory in the heavens. They believed Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, and they believed he would be victorious to lead them out of their suffering. What they didn't expect was that Jesus would go deeper into suffering for them. They expected him to take on a crown of jewels, and instead he put on a crown of thorns. Very soon for these very uh, encouraged disciples, the storyline is going to go sideways. There's going to be talk of a disciple betraying him. There's a garden and an arrest And his disciples become terrified and distraught. How could the one they called Lord allow evil and earthly power and greed to prevail? Their foundation will be shaken. While his disciples are cheering Hosanna, the Pharisees had a different response to this scene. They saw these simple fishermen, country people who were misguided and blasphemous. Calling Jesus a new king was also treasonous, which could put others at risk. The Pharisees were the ones in the know about God's law, about what was right or wrong. They were better dressed, they were cleaner, smarter, sophisticated, and educated, and comfortable. They challenged Jesus, saying, you should rebuke your disciples. And you can imagine their judgment and disdain. For the Pharisees, Jesus was a threat to all they held dear in their uneasy alliance with Rome. The status quo meant authority and privileges, and their foundation and trust was in being right and in being in charge, not in a God whose plan didn't match their expectations. Jesus is the one with perfect trust in God's plan. He knew God's heart and what was and what is to come. He responded to the Pharisees with these words in verse 40. If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, I used to think of stones sort of like this. That as he came in on the donkey colt, there were stones along the side of the road. And he was referring to them. But as I was preparing for this lesson, I was thinking about where he's going. He's going into the gates, into the city walls. And in fact, these are likely the stones he may have been referring to. Notice where that gentleman is standing. This is the Southern Temple Mount. 
And those stones on the bottom are from the Herodian era, which means they would have been there when Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey. They're almost six feet high. They're taller than my SUV. They're big. These are massive and impressive stones. But imagine, you see they only go one story. All the rest above it, the whole city and temple had been toppled. This is what remains. And that happened when Rome laid siege to Jerusalem only 40 years later. What seemed unshakable and firm actually fell apart. And Jesus calls us to put our trust and surrender in something even more secure than these rocks. And I love the verses that follow ours for today. Right after reading this, Jesus draws near to the city and weeps over Jerusalem, saying, If only you had known on this day the things that make for peace. He warns that the days are coming when the enemies will surround and tear the city down, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Can you imagine the cheers of these, this crowd of disciples? And here's Jesus having just gone through this procession. You'd think he might feel exultant, but instead he's weeping. God's beloved city, his temple where the place of his presence was and his people were going to be destroyed. Jesus grieves with the Father's compassion for the destruction that would come. Even then, he knew what he would have to go through for us to not be shaken. So not only is Jesus talking about physical stones, perhaps of the temple or the wall, but he's also talking about a spiritual one, about himself. In Luke chapter 20, the chapter after this, Jesus quotes Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now the cornerstone is that first rock around which all the other parts of a construction are built. And here's a picture of one. You can see the cornerstone right there. Now, it's like a Jenga game, and if you pull that one out, everything else tumbles around it. Our Karis Women's study this year is going through the Gospel of Luke, and we just looked at this scripture together and discussed the safety and the security that Jesus provides for us. He is that stone that holds it all together. In our other reading for today, Psalm 31, it talked about God as our rock of refuge, our deliverer, our strong fortress and redeemer. And Jesus is all this for us. Now, not only is Jesus the cornerstone, but he knows that he's going to be rejected. He anguishes in the garden about it. He knew he was going to suffer and die a brutal death but he willingly laid down his life to remove our sin and to conquer evil's hold on us. God loves us so much that he sent his son to rescue us. His body was destroyed so that we could stand secure. We often base our lives on such unworthy foundations. We trust in ourselves, our 401k, what others say about us, our job security, all of which could go away tomorrow. But Jesus is sure and solid and unchanging. We are in a world that shakes a lot, and we need something that will not be moved. 
that will hold everything together. And when things shake us, it is okay to feel it because that trembling could, can be a signal to return to Jesus, our rock. He is the one who can dissolve our fear and grow our trust in him. When I remember that train in Czechoslovakia, I can feel my fear. But I also remember once we got through that border crossing and we were in Austria, I was so relieved and so grateful. I really felt rescued. Retelling the story reminds me again to return to the rock and how much I need him and his peace and the reminder that we are all in God's loving embrace. Many decades have passed since that day, and there have been worse challenges and experiences along the way for me. But I can tell you that God has been my rock and has kept me from being shaken. As a firm foundation, he has sustained me through trials and is the one to whom I return when my heart wanders and when I'm afraid. I want to end with a promise found in another Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. We can trust in him so that we will not be shaken come what may. You'll find it on the front of your bulletin so you can take it home and remember it this week. It'll also be on the wall behind me. Prophet Isaiah in verse 28, in chapter 28, verse 16 says this, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a firm foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. So I want to pray words from this verse over you as they are fulfilled in Jesus, our unshakable foundation. And I invite you now just to close your eyes and to take a deep breath. God, you laid the foundation with a stone. Jesus is that tested and precious cornerstone that is our sure foundation. As we believe in him, we will not be shaken or toppled no matter what we're dealing with right now, what concerns or burdens we carry, what distress or fear we have for our times and our world. Jesus is our rock and our redeemer our trustworthy foundation. May we build our lives on him so we can join your redemption mission. In Jesus' trustworthy name we pray, amen.